0: Welcome Brock as he comes forward, okay? Well, if you've uh, spent time here in Infusion Church, chances are you've heard us throw a few catchphrases around uh, to describe our community's vision. Um, I just actually looked through our bulletin and website, and I found a few of these. Gospel-centered, gospel-integrated, missional, and on mission and uh, that was just a few of them. We have, we have quite a few floating around there. Um, or you might have, might have heard our community's mission statement, leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Christ and his family for the glory of God. In this winter, as we've revisited our church life series, we've been able to unpack the heart behind some of these expressions together. And we've learned that um, not only does the The gospel impacts uh, our relationship with God, whom we now are reconciled with and call Father. But we've learned that the gospel impacts our relationship with the church, whom we are now unified with and call family. And we are compelled forward by the gospel to reach out to our neighbor, love them, and show them Christ. Um, Over the winter, we've touched on a few topics with our sermons Uh, And we've learned that the gospel impacts our giving, our relationships, um, our priorities, our loyalties, and even uh, our callings, which is a pretty big facet of our life. And our church has given us practical opportunities um, to really live out uh, the gospel. Um, Kairos Prison Ministry, Infusion Kids, Alternatives Women's Center are just a few that you've probably heard in the announcements. There's much more. Um, so when we talk about crowded houses this morning, what I don't want you to hear is just another pitch for a small group or a ministry. What I want you to hear is that this is really an invitation to live out the gospel in your life. I want us to see that crowded houses really are designed to love God, love our church, and love our neighbor. Now, if you just heard me say gospel like 10 times and you're not quite sure what I mean by that... Let me clarify. Uh, the gospel is the good news that while all of humanity has sinned and rebelled against God, God in his graciousness and in his mercy has sent his son to die as a rebel and as a sinner, even though he was, he was perfect. And he does that in exchange for us. So through this, this gospel message, we are offered uh, forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. And, and so when we say uh, the gospel message. That's what we mean this morning, and, and that's what's being extended to us this morning, and that's what we are being challenged to apply to our life in every facet. So, before we get any further, let me just uh, read the text and pray for this time. And if you brought your Bible or, or smartphone, it would be helpful if you pulled that out and could track along with me. If you didn't, you can follow along with the screen behind me. And just to set the stage, in, in Acts 1, we see the resurrected Jesus just before. He ascends to the right hand of God. Promise that He will send His Spirit to anoint the church and empower them to testify to the world concerning His life, death, and resurrection. It's a gospel message. And at the beginning of Acts two, we see Jews from all over the Mediterranean world gathering together in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, of Pentecost. And all it is is a uh, it's a gathering festival. It's about fruitfulness and, and multiplying. And alongside them, we see uh, our disciples of uh, Jesus praying and waiting earnestly for God to uh, fulfill the promise that he made that the Holy Spirit would come. And here's where it gets interesting. In the midst of the, f- the festival, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples like flaming tongues of fire, and he empowers them to preach, preach the gospel In many tongues. So there was many people who spoke many languages gathering together at Pentecost. And the disciples were able to preach in many tongues and many languages so that uh, everyone who is in the audience could hear and understand. And the people were, uh, quote, amazed and perplexed by this. And they say, what does this mean? which I think is a great question for us to be asking this morning when we hear the gospel. What does this mean for me? What does the gospel mean for my life? How am I going to apply this to um, the, the sum of my activities? So uh, in response, Peter stands up, and he gets a, gives a lengthy sermon, and here's where we pick up, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the arrest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? From this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we pray that your word would would cut our hearts this morning, that it would Bring conviction that it would illuminate your truth to us, Lord, that we would see that you are calling us out of darkness into your marvelous, marvelous light by means of the gospel, that you are beckoning us to see the truth of your son and the, the glorious uh, radiance that he is. Lord, we pray that um, we would respond to your word this morning as those on Pentecost did and saying, what shall we do? What does this mean? How should we apply this to our lives? Lord, we pray that this message uh, would give give us some clarity on that front and that we would be able to uh, just see your gospel, Lord, at at the center of all that we do and all of our motivations. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So I uh, have a disclaimer before we uh, really get into the... A crowded house discussion, and, and that's this. I wasn't always willing to be a member of a, a church small group, or a church for that matter. And it actually took me over a year uh, after I professed faith to to start attending a, a church, and even longer to be a part of a small group. And part of the reason was that I was really oblivious to uh, the concept of, of true Christian community. Um, when I was at uh, when I came to faith, I was at like a Christian event, and there was really no church to follow up with me, to disciple me, to teach me, to lead me. It was actually pretty far away from where I lived, so I just uh, went back to college uh, and, and uh, went about pursuing Christ on my own. And, you know, part of the reason I was resistant to joining church was that I heard a gospel message that so emphasized a personal relationship with Jesus that I didn't see that. Um, that very same message had massive uh, implications for the way that I pursued community with the church. And uh, I, I would say the last point of resistance um, <clears throat> was that I, I didn't really trust or respect the church, in all honesty. I, I had an interesting relationship with the church growing up, and it, and, uh, and I, I really didn't trust them, and I didn't know what would happen if I got involved. So I just... Uh, If you find yourself in in one of these positions, I just want to encourage you by saying, I've been there and I get it. Uh, And you're you're not alone. Um, And and here's what I've learned in the process. If you pursue faith without being grounded in in community, you really place yourself in a position of vulnerability and danger. Here there's really no theological safeguard. Um, There's there's no encouragement, no correction. Nobody can keep you in check and and, uh, help you uh, walk your faith in Christ, and if you pursue community without pursuing the faith, you really just place yourself in a position of um, <clears throat> sterility and impotence, and, and here there's, there's uh, no message, no power, uh, no presence, no gospel, and, uh, you know, you place yourself also in, an, in a position of danger, so what we see clearly from our passage here in Acts 2 is that faith must be pursued uh, within community. Here there's not only stability and and structure um, and and brothers and sisters looking out for you, but you also have the substance and and life of the gospel. But the question is, what exactly does faith look like within community? Well, Scripture gives us a a brief, not all-inclusive summary of the first church right here in Acts 2.42. And when we read this, um, I, I don't want us to think that our... Our uh, serving is limited to these four elements. Um, it's much larger than that. But let me read this verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And this is where we're actually going to camp out for the remainder of our time. But before we do, I just want us to, to draw out a few observations from our text just to give us some context um, for, these, for these elements in 242. The first observation is this, proper response to the gospel includes belief in the work of Christ and assimilation into the church. And if you're following along with me in your uh, sermon outline, this, this is the first point here. <clears throat> so remember, just before in our passage in Acts 2, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up, he preaches the gospel, he proclaims the life, death, resurrection of Christ to those visiting uh, Jerusalem on Pentecost. But what's interesting is the story doesn't stop there. A lot of times, I think we can think it stops there, um, and I've, I've been guilty of that as well. But we're told that those who responded appropriately received his word, they were baptized, and then they were added to those who already believed. Now this, again, doesn't mean that your uh, salvation is dependent on whether you're coming to church Sunday morning or whether you join Crowded House. This is not a guilt trip. But what I want us to see is that uh, the main thrust of Scripture, and especially this passage, is that when we respond to the gospel, we are are responding to God and we are responding to his people. We are pursuing God and we are pursuing his people. When God is calling us out of the world, out of darkness into light, he's calling us into something, and that's really fellowship with him and fellowship with his people. Second, uh, Christ-centered proclamation what we might call uh, evangelism or Sunday morning sermons when Matt gets up here and he preaches with all his might, <laughs> or, and a uh, gospel-centered community, what we might call crowded houses or gospel DNA or uh, one-on-one discipleships. These things work synergistically or, or hand-in-hand to expand the kingdom of God. In Acts 2, we see uh, Christ-centered proclamation represented by Peter's preaching culminate in verse 41. And there were added that day, about 3,000 souls. And just after that, just after his preaching, we see the go- that gospel-centered community represented again by the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers culminate in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And here's what I think Luke is doing. He's, he's clearly linking these two things together and attributing them both to church growth. And I, I think this is what he's um, trying to make clear to us, it's not just what we are doing on Sunday mornings, and it's not just what we're doing in crowded houses, but it really is the sum of these efforts that God has ordained for us to bring about the kingdom in our community. And it's, it's not just about proclaiming the gospel or the kingdom, but it's also about living out the gospel and living out the kingdom in community. And that's, that really is the call for us this morning. And, and last, uh, God often uses ordinary means like the apostles' teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers to bring about radical change. And here's what I mean. When we read the New Testament, uh, especially the book of Acts, we might get the impression that if something is not uh, spontaneous or structured, uh, unstructured, that it's, it's not genuine or Holy Spirit-led. Um, after all, in, in our passage here, we see... Uh, Quite the unexpected event. Um, nobody really anticipated flaming tongues of fire coming down from heaven, anointing the apostles, speaking in a multitude of languages, um, 3,000 conversions. Um, and in fact, I, I mentioned this in the first service, but what we call in America a megachurch is you know like 2,000 people. So this is, this is a megachurch plus some. The first day of, of Peter's preaching uh, after Christ uh, ascended to the right hand of God, Um, So this is a miraculous, um, spontaneous event, but here's what's interesting, is that all these people who witnessed the flaming tongues of fire um, and were converted and and, and saw this miracle of of, um, this multitude of uh, languages being broken out and and spoken, um, actually went on in verse uh, 42 to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, in the prayers. In fact, our passage says that they tended to these things daily, day by day, they did these things. And guess what? Radical things happened as they were consistent with these things. And this this really should give us confidence as we gather together throughout the week and as, as we are diligent in pursuing these things that, that um, God will bring about radical change um, in, in each one of these ordinary elements. And not only that, but that God is pleased to do it. Um, He is pleased to do spontaneous things in his life, but he's especially pleased that when we dedicate and set our priorities and time aside uh, and structure our life around the gospel message, he's pleased. He's very much pleased in that. So I want to encourage us in that this morning. So let's take a a quick look now at at the first of these elements, the apostles' teaching. What should grab our attention uh, right from the start is that Luke chooses not to use the term scriptures or sound doctrine or even the gospel to describe the teaching. It's not to say that uh, the apostles' teaching is not consistent with these things. It absolutely is. But I, I think Luke is actually trying to drive home a point here. And that's that uh, the apostles' teaching uh, has a particular origin and content. So let's, let's uh, address that first point first, the origin. The origin of the teaching is well, apostolic—it's—it's it's right there, in the name, um, and and uh, the word apostle simply means messenger or delegate, uh, one who speaks on behalf of another, and it really is described uh, to—it's—it's uh, really used to describe someone. Who has been given authority to be an ambassador to speak on behalf of another. And, and we know um, Christ first and foremost is the apostle of God. In Hebrews 3, that's that's how he's described. Um, he's the apostle of God by virtue of being the Son of God, and also by virtue of living a perfect life in obedience to God and earning that, uh, that title apostle. So uh, just, to, just to reiterate, he is the apostle by being the Son of God, by virtue of his nature, and by earning it in his obedience. So any other apostle of God, anyone who proclaims to speak on behalf of God, must derive their authority from this, this God-man, Jesus Christ. And, and that's ex- exactly uh, what we see here in our, in our passage. In fact, um, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells the eleven, the apostles, as we call them, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it's in Matthew 28 then that we see the apostles being commissioned. their they're given the authority of, of Christ to speak on behalf of God. And they're also given the commands. Uh, they're given the commands of God um, through Christ. So it's, it's not their commands, but it's, it's Christ's commands that they're instructed to teach. And second, the content of the teaching is it's Christ-centered and it's consistent with the Old Testament scriptures. So in Luke 24, we, we see another interaction with Christ and his disciples. And he instructs them and says. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Which is, you know, if you've never heard this expression, it's really just a long-winded way of saying the Old Testament. Uh, And and here's what's amazing about um, the passage. Christ goes on to say that he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And and, uh, just to give you some context, these disciples probably knew their Old Testament like the back of their hand. They were very well versed in the Old Testament. So for Jesus to walk up to them and say, I'm going to open your minds to the scriptures would be a pretty radical thing to say. But here's what he does. When he opens their minds, he opens their minds to understand that all the scriptures concern himself, that all of the Old Testament scriptures testify um, to his life, death, and resurrection. And not only that, but they're in the Old Testament was this future looking forward to of of repentance and forgiveness of sins, which is now being granted through uh, Christ's ministry. And now the apostles are commissioned to proclaim that uh, in his name to all nations. And and this is exactly how we see uh, the apostles preach in the New Testament. In fact, in our passage here in Acts 2, we see Peter preaching through uh, many passages of the Old Testament and drawing Christ out in them. So I encourage you at some point to go through that and see how he does that. So as you read through the Old Testament, you can see um, Christ in all the, all the scriptures. But just for the sake of, of time, let's just read a quick snippet. Acts 2.22-24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So the question for us this morning is, what does what this apostles' teaching mean for us as we are gathering together as a, as a community of believers, as a church? Well, it means that on Sundays when... Uh, Pastor Matt preaches or the other uh, elders preach that we are gathering together to hear the scriptures um, preached with Christ and his gospel as the interpretive lens of all the scriptures. And it means that as we gather throughout the week in our crowded houses, um, that we are applying what we heard on Sunday about the gospel to our lives. And, and so what we are doing in crowded houses and other times throughout the week as we gather um, is really bringing the gospel message full circle. We, we are hearing it on Sundays and we are living it out communally throughout the week. Second, we're going to look at uh, the fellowship, the second element in, in Acts 2.42. Uh, the Greek word rendered here is fellowship it, um, as fellowship is koinonia, and most of you have probably heard a, uh, a church or a small group or a Bible study with this name koinonia in it, and it's, it's actually translated fellowship in our, in our English Bibles. And here's what's interesting. When we use this term uh, fellowship to uh, describe our gatherings, often it means something more like uh, having conversation, drinking coffee together, maybe talking about uh, John Piper's desiring God. Um, something like that, right? But <clears throat> in the scriptures, and um, in, in those things are absolutely fellowship. Um, those things are great, and, I, and that we should encourage each other to participate in those things. But um, in scripture, this idea of fellowship is is much larger, and, and it really includes living life together, sharing possessions with one another, in um, really considering each other to be family. So What's interesting about our passage here is in Acts 2.42, we see, uh, we see Luke lay out kind of a, a, a skeleton framework of what community looks like, and he unpacks that in the following verses. And, and in verse 44, uh, we see this idea of fellowship unpacked. Um, the phrase in common here has the same Greek root uh, as the word fellowship, koina. I'm just drawing that out so as I read that we can... You can see what, what the scriptures mean by fellowship. And the verse reads like this And all who believed were together and had all things in common, koina. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I know this passage might strike uh, a particular nerve with our, our present culture, or most cultures, or just human nature. <laughs> um, but, but um, in, in fact, in the early church, you know, Christians were often derided and um, persecuted because they called each other family, because they went to such great lengths to share possessions together and take care of one another. So, um, obviously, this is a, a little bit of a controversial passage, so let me explain what's going on here. First, not all believers sold their homes or their property. This wasn't communism or something like that. Um, after all, here in our passage, we see that churches met together in homes to break bread, and I imagine those were someone from the churches, uh, someone from the church who owned those houses, um, but but what's important to note here is that those who sold their homes or property uh, were doing so for the glory of God and, and to take care of the needs of others, and those who held on to their possessions and held on to their homes and property did so so that gospel-centered community could happen and did so so that uh, their brothers and sisters were taken care of. Um, so I think it's important here to, to say uh, whether you sell or, not, or, or don't sell, whether you uh, hold on to or don't hold on to, that you should do it for the glory of God and do it uh, for the benefit of your brother and sister. Um, I think that is uh, an application of the gospel message and avoiding the needs of other brothers and sisters really isn't, isn't an option for us as believers uh, who call each other family. Second, we must remember that Christian fellowship in the early church really was just application of the gospel message. We see in Acts two when Peter is preaching uh, he's preaching forgiveness of sins and, and what's interesting is uh, he He commends his listeners to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and these people who received this free offer for forgiveness and this gift of the Holy Spirit uh, were quick to provide for the needs of the others because they had seen how richly they had been provided for. So listen to how uh, Aristides, a second century Christian, described the fellowship of believers. They love one another, and from widows they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial." And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. So as as we gather together in our crowded houses, um, this means for us that, that we are meeting real people who we can share life with, including uh, our struggles, our needs, our accomplishments, our callings—you know, probably more than I can put into words—and it, and it means that as uh, we gather throughout the week, that each of us are being made aware of uh, the needs of others in our community, and not only ours, but their family and uh, their neighbors, and so community. Um, crowded houses really are an access point to the larger community that we can show Christ to people uh, through our crowded houses, and um, again we're we're given the opportunity to show them the love of Christ, um, and it's important to remember that it's it was Christ who first welcomed others into the fellowship of believers and and us as well, and so it's it's um, it's the gospel that propels us forward to welcome others into the fellowship of Christ, like Christ first welcomed us. Third, uh, the breaking of bread. I'll try to keep this one uh, brief just because there's a lot of overlap with fellowship and the breaking of bread, and uh, I don't want to take too much of your time this morning, but um, this is what we should take away in, in verse 46, that all believers gather together every day to break bread. And maybe this is just my bias, but I really can't imagine um, a single activity more than breaking of bread and fellowship and gathering together that symbolizes friendship and family. And this is something that the early church did every single day, and they they loved to be together. It wasn't, they weren't coerced into doing this. They did it um, because the gospel compelled them, because they loved their brother. And there's some interesting testimony from the first century um, as to the great lengths that, that believers really uh, went to they they climbed walls and <laughs> snuck behind guards and um, they did so many other things just to be with one another in fact, oftentimes they they met underground, literally underground uh, where bodies were buried so that they could be together that that was their their highest priority was to love one another and be close to one another and, and again in our passage, we see that written all over the place verse forty four we are told that all who believed were together. In 46, we are told that day by day they attended temple together. And in verse 47, we are told that church was, the church was receptive to those who day by day were being saved and added to the fellowship of believers. So this means for us, as we, we gather together um, and break bread, we, we are doing that because we love each other, because we, are, uh, we have a great desire to be with, with one another. And we also do this uh, as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural family, uh, and, and Acts two is a great model for that. Um, you know, in Acts in Acts one, we see these people gathering together from all over the Mediterranean. They speak many languages. Um, in fact. There's testimony that they actually didn't understand each other a lot of times because they had never heard the other person's language before. But what's amazing is they didn't just disband. Most of them stayed there in Jerusalem. And the reason was that they were unified in Christ. They saw that this gospel message uh, necessitated that they love one another and, and pursue family together. Um, and, and this, this uh, breaking of bread also means that, that we should be quick to break bread with sinners um, in order that they might see Christ. And it was Christ himself who set that example for us. He was quick to break bread uh, with sinners, and, and many times he was chastised for doing that. Um, but he did that so that others might see the goodness of God and be saved, and, and that should be our, our motivation as well as when, when we go about extending that fellowship to others. And last, uh, the prayers and I'll also keep this one short, but here's what we need to pick up from this passage. First, prayer in the early church was communal, and, and that's not to say that they didn't have a personal prayer life, and it's not to say uh, that they didn't have a personal faith, but it, what it did mean was that communal prayer really was um, an important element of their gathering together. It was, it was vital and essential. And in fact, when we, when we look um, at the early church in Acts 1, 14, uh, we are told that, that prior to Pentecost, the disciples really uh, birthed the early church by means of their prayer. Um, in verse fourteen, we see with one accord they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And this isn't to say that the hundred and twenty who gathered together and prayed were single-handedly responsible for the Spirit coming, or like they had uh, come up with the idea, but what it did mean was that they had heard the promise of Christ, that his spirit would come and that they would testify to the world concerning him, and they believed it, and they gathered together, and they prayed, and they waited earnestly. And what we see here um, in Acts 1 and 2 really is the culmination of their radical partnering with God in prayer, Um, in the belief that he will be faithful to respond uh, to prayers that are according to his promises. And last, prayers is a response to the goodness and faithfulness of God. In Acts 2, we see that after receiving their food, the church praised God with glad and generous hearts, Um, which is just amazing. You know, the early church uh, proclaiming the glories of God, praising God, thanking God because he had provided uh, food to nourish our bodies, and, and we can share in uh, that thankfulness as well. But not only do we, in the early church, have um, a thankfulness for this bread that we eat, but this bread of life that God has provided for us, uh, Christ, to, to sustain our souls um, and save us. And so we should we should be uh, we should love joining together in praising God for what He has done. And um, so as we as we gather together in crowded houses. Uh, this prayer life means that we, we pray for the kingdom to come in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our city. And it means that we praise God for his goodness and his faithfulness to us in answering our prayers. And, and our crowded house at Felicita does it like this, and, I'm, and I hope that all of the crowded houses do it this way. But we gather every week and share how we can be praying for each other, and we also share the evidences of God's grace in our life. And and we petition before God communally, and we praise God communally. We thank, you, we thank him for uh, the prayers that he's answered, and we give him the, the prayers that we have yet to see answered to. And, and uh, I, I really um, have seen a lot of growth and blessing from doing that week by week. It's really put me in touch with a lot of people's lives. So I encourage you to, to be mindful of that as you gather uh, throughout the week. So as, as we begin to wrap up things this morning, let me just read a a quick blurb that's been going around for our, our crowded houses. And when I read this, again, it, I'm, not, uh, I'm not trying to pitch another church ministry or coerce you into joining something um, or anything of that nature, but I just want us to see that this really is a practical application, application of the gospel message for our lives. Quote, Crowded houses are infusion churches, small group ministry. It's where much of church life happens. While every crowded house is unique, all of them have some general features and goals. We gather weekly for the purpose of loving God, loving each other, and loving our neighbor. We discuss and apply questions from Sunday's sermon, talk through and live out life's joys and trials together, pray for one another, and meet one another's needs, build relationships with others in the infusion community. Collaborate to share the gospel and serve the community in Escondido or the surrounding area. And share a meal or snack together. So my hope is that as as I read that list that you would see that there is significant overlap between uh, our passage today and uh, the design for Crowded Houses. So let me just leave us with this. What does pursuing faith within community look like? Well, it means that we... Uh, organize ourselves around the teachings of Scripture with Jesus and his gospel at the center. That's the apostles' teaching. We share our possessions and take care of our brothers and sisters who are in need. That's, that's fellowship. Um, we do life together as the household of God. <clears throat> you know, that's, that's breaking of bread. And uh, last, we pray continually for one another in God's kingdom, and we praise God for his grace and his faithfulness to us. That's, that's the prayers. So I just, I, again, want us to see that these, these things are the gospel um, working in our lives, drawing us closer to God, drawing us closer to community. Um, it, it really is the gospel message propelling us forward um, to pursue the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Um, that's, that's what gospel integrated and in, in missional means when you see that in our announcements um, and on our website. So with that, let's pray this morning. Lord, we we thank you for the the clear blessing it is to gather together as as a community of believers, to pursue the faith with others um, side by side, Lord, and and to devote ourselves uh, to your teachings and and to your gospel. We pray, Lord, that as, uh, as we respond to this message, that we would be propelled forward because of what your son has done for us, because your son came to die in our place, came to take on the punishment that we deserved because of our, of our sinfulness and rebellion. And he was numbered as a transgressor, as a sinner, as a rebel, even though he was perfect. And now we are reconciled to you, God, because of what he has done by faith in, in his work. And we, and we pray that, that that message, Lord, would push us forward into things like crowded houses and gospel DNA and making friendships with other people. Lord, as, as we uh, begin to spend time in the next couple minutes reflecting on your word and, and on your message, I pray that you would, again, uh, cut our hearts with your word, uh, bring us to a place where we can ask, what does this mean? What shall we do? How should we respond? How should the gospel, um, how should the gospel change my priorities, my calling, my choices, my decisions? And if you're new this morning and, and you haven't heard the gospel, I, I want you uh, to be encouraged to reflect on this message. I, I encourage you to pray to God to uh, open your heart and your, your mind and your eyes to this message. And if you have any questions, you can meet with anyone back at the cross um, to pray or, or talk to me. But uh, we just are, are giving you this time now to reflect on the message. And, and after uh, this time is up, Pastor Tom Wing will come up and and pray for our uh, Lord's Supper this morning.